Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. She is the Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations and an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor in Wintosh Faculty of Social Work. This show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it? This podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabewaki, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. This land is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Historical and ongoing legacies of colonization produce injustices for Indigenous communities, and this podcast aims to understand alternative ways forward. Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show. Listeners, I am so thrilled and so excited to introduce the fantastic Sierra Cece Coven to our podcast today. Cece is a mother, advocate, and lover of all human beings. Diagnosed with HIV at the age of 20, She has curated a life of HIV and mental health advocacy through her lived experience and education. Cece is a program manager at the Well Project, a past ambassador for the CDC's Let's Stop HIV Together campaign, and owner of Healing is Voluntary. She's been able to connect with leaders from around the world to advance her mission of destigmatizing HIV and providing a community for women who are living with HIV. Welcome, Cece. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. We're so lucky. So I usually start off podcasts by saying, if I've ever met you, and I've met you, I think, only online. I'm not sure through the Well Project. Have we met in person yet? Never. No. Like Carmen. (laughs) We need to. I I can't wait. Where are you right now? I am in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay. In the cold. Cold. Yeah. I, I empathize. <laughs> it's cold here. My motorcycle's currently buried in the snow. <laughs> so I'm going to show up in Philly right now to your house with my time machine. It's a very special time machine. It is COVID proof, very safe. It can go back in time and it can have multiple stopovers. So I'm going to show up with my time machine right now and say, Okay, you do all this wonderful advocacy, you know, around destigmatizing HIV. Where would you take me in the time machine to know where did where did this whole journey of yours begin? We can go anytime, any place. Well, we are going to go back to June 4th, 2008, which was the day that I was diagnosed with HIV. That was the day that my advocacy began. I was an individual that was not living with HIV and I didn't know much about it. So, but that day is the day that changed my life. Now I had this HIV diagnosis and what was I going to do with it? Was I just going to sit, 
lay, Google things and, you know, determine my fate from there? Or was I going to help people in my community? Was I going to make this virus not be such a dark moment in my life? And that's exactly what has happened since then. Wow, that's so amazing. I want you to tell the readers, or the readers, the listeners, I mean, they are probably also readers, but the listeners, <laughs> it's right now, you know, end of 2022, beginning of 2023. Do we still have to worry about HIV stigma? Is it is it still a big deal? What would you say if, if somebody was going to ask you, do we still need advocacy? If someone asked me that, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Do we still need this? <laughs> As program manager at the Well Project, the women's organization, I get to work daily and see the disparities that exist, especially when we talk about women in HIV. Like there is still so much stigma, lack of education, research that needs to be done in that space. On my own, I do my social media and I live as a woman living with HIV. The stigma in the comment sections, Carmen, oh my goodness. You know, I'm usually in a safe space with HIV. I've gotten so far to begin talking about breastfeeding in HIV. But on social media, it's like starting at ground zero every day. Because in that space, people seem to think that people living with HIV are not having sex and that they should not be having children. So I'm like, whoa, I've made it so far past that in my life. But meeting people where they are, the stigma definitely still exists. Wow, that, that must be so hard to manage just to see how this lack of information and ignorance is still persisting after all this time. Oh, it's hard. It's hard, hard. And I know that for many people, you know, if we're on 40 something years of knowing of this virus and treating it and, you know, research, there are people that did not make it to this day because of the HIV stigma, not the virus itself, but the stigma that they would expect to have to encounter merely because of their HIV status. It comes out in ways of not wanting to go to doctor's appointments because I don't want anyone seeing me coming out of this building. Not taking HIV medication because they don't want anyone to know that they're taking medication for anything. It comes up in ways of, you know, the social part of it. Now people are not going to want to be around me because I'm living with HIV. That isolation. So yes, it's still here and I know it's at a, to a detriment to our society. Absolutely. You mentioned something, and I know this is something we had talked about before our podcast today, which is around the stigma around breastfeeding or chest feeding and HIV. I was wondering if you could talk more about that stigma and, and your work in that space. Absolutely. So I am a mom of two. My first child was born after my diagnosis in 2010. And I did not breastfeed that child, but I was able to give a natural birth to him. Now, I got pregnant at the beginning of 2021, and there have been many advances since then, um, since 2010 specifically. And now, you know, there have been some mummers. I know some personal stories of people who are living with HIV who did feed their child from their body. So I was like, I want to do that. I want a piece of that. Like my baby deserves that. 
And it was not the easiest process. It wasn't something that I could just walk into the doctor's office and say that I wanted to do. But ultimately, I was able to feed my child from my body for seven months successfully. And she is not living with HIV. The current guidelines that that kind of reign over the United States are the CDC's guidelines that does not suggest that it doesn't recommend that if a parent is living with HIV that they were to breastfeed is a breast milk is one way that HIV is transmitted. But there are other parts of the world where the guidance is breast is best even if the parent is living with HIV. And it was really hard for me to conceptualize how just my placement in this world determined how I could feed my child or children. So we're working working alongside the WELL Project. We have been able to achieve some great things. We've been able to convene some wonderful folks on this topic, get into some spaces to try to share that in those same guidelines, it is recommended that a provider support a parent in whatever decision that they come to when it comes to feeding their children. That part seems to get looked over quite a bit, but it's all about bodily autonomy. Absolutely. And also, I imagine the advances with the U equals U undetectable equals untransmissible because earlier you you had said that there's also this kind of forgetting or omission that that people living with HIV and women living with HIV also have sex and they can have sex and people can breastfeed and I'm just wondering about the U equals U movement and and how that maybe has affected the context of sexual lives as well as as you mentioned breast and chest feeding. Oh my goodness, you equals you is like life-changing. I'm undetectable. I'm taking my medicine as prescribed and I'm able to reach undetectable. Now my virus can't be transmitted sexually. That's where we had a research. That's where we can say 100% you cannot transmit HIV. We unfortunately do not have the same research to be able to substantiate using U equals U to apply to breastfeeding. So the studies that we do have is actually a study out of um, one part of Africa where they study people living with HIV and the transmission of HIV to infants in breastfeeding. And those studies were called the PROMISE studies. And that we saw that there was less than a 1% chance of transmission to child from parent who's living with HIV. Less than 1%. That sounds major to me. That sounds like there's like a 99% chance that I wouldn't transmit HIV to someone else. But what I can tell you that U equals U has really helped (laughs) is that getting pregnant piece, at least for me. Like now I don't have to use a condom if I don't want to use a condom with my partner, where those were the recommendations at one time. I could, you know, actually get pregnant naturally. And that happened for me with both of my children. And being able to have a campaign to back that up, you equals you, is phenomenal. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to hear all of these advances and how they can really improve bodily autonomy. Okay, that was my first stigma question. There's only three stigma questions, but I feel like You've made a case about why stigma is still so important to address. Hello, the comment section. And also that 
somehow this information around U equals U, around the benefits, and also the geographic differences in, in breastfeeding with HIV have not really been, been discussed enough. I wonder if we could backtrack. You did mention there's a bunch of different ways that stigma can impact people. I was just wondering for the listener who may or may not be living with HIV or may or may not understand the life of a woman living with HIV, how does stigma bump up against you in, in your day-to-day life, walking around the world? You know, maybe a, you could imagine someone you work with or, you know, you're not necessarily asking to pull from your personal experience, but just so that the listener can really see that it it's stigma is something that's that can show up in different ways in, in someone's just day-to-day life walking around the world. Absolutely. So first off, I can say that stigma in my life presents is internalized stigma first. So I'm dealing with that maybe sometimes consistently. And then for that internalized stigma to be met with the externalized stigma, it just exacerbates it. So for me, it has shown up in my life, like someone knew that I was living with HIV and they felt like my hand couldn't go inside of the pizza box. So they instead made plates for everyone in the room instead of allowing my hand to go inside of the pizza box. Or the language that is used. Oh, that's, there goes the girl living with AIDS. When people sometimes don't even know what the differences between HIV and AIDS are, or language such as clean versus dirty, infected, contagious, you know, so much of the language that we use can be stigmatizing in itself, all while you're dealing with your own internalized stigma on the inside. It's definitely a mental experience. I'll say overall for me, HIV has been hard mentally. Wow. Yeah, of course. And I just want the listeners to know that you cannot transmit HIV by handling pizza, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or sharing cutlery or sharing your water, you know. And the other example you gave was also showing just a lack of information and a lack of knowledge. You said conflating HIV with AIDS, two different things. You could, everybody who has AIDS, yes, is also living with HIV, but most people living with HIV are not living with AIDS, which is a, a, you know, a constellation of, of different infections. So getting our own language correct, I think is, is really good. And, and, you know, I'll put some resources for the listener to the, the well project and to your work and, yeah, I think that's really important and just how language can, in fact, shape how someone feels inside. And when I don't feel good on the inside, that shows up in ways like, don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to take this medicine or any other medicine. I don't want to engage with my children. I don't want to engage with anyone. You know, it can just rear its ugly head in so many different ways. And this is directly related to HIV stigma. Thank you for sharing that. And also HIV stigma is the job of people not living with HIV to fix. So, and and that can, one part of that is really rethinking what we know, what we don't know, and being open to learning and staying in touch with the science. I want you to think, Cece, about a listener on this podcast. Maybe they're walking their dog in the snow in the cold, 
listening to the podcast. Maybe they're riding the bus. I don't know. Maybe they're listening to it in the car. What do you want them to do? How can they be part of the solution to HIV stigma? Well, I I definitely am a firm believer that it's going to take all of us to end HIV, period. And all of us, I mean, the people living with HIV and our allies, the people that are out there on my behalf when I'm not you know, in the room, you'll correct, you know, some misinformation that you hear or that you will spread some new information that you heard. And just having a conversation, HIV and AIDS can become so taboo that we don't even want to touch it. We don't want to talk about it. Almost wishing that it would kind of go away if we didn't. And that is not what the reality of it is. The more that we don't talk about it leaves room for more misinformation to be spread. It leaves room for more people to feel bad about living with a human condition that none of us asked for. So just helping with stigma can be as simple as you sharing a social media post, sharing this podcast here, doing your part in little ways in your community can go such a far way. Thank you. I think that that really gives a lot of people listening some direction about stepping in with correct information, informing yourself, talking about HIV. Whenever anybody asks me what I do, I'm always like, oh, I do HIV research. I'm just waiting. I'm like, ask me something, ask me something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, maybe not at breakfast, before my first coffee. But as soon as I got a coffee, I'm like, okay, I'm happy to chat all day about correcting misinformation because it still exists in this day and age of all the information that we can access. It's like, come on. I'll usually be really snarky and be like, yeah, I just Googled this on the device that I'm holding in my hand that you're reading this information off of. Google has been any search engine. Like we look up recipes, we look up directions. You can type anything in there and at least get a basic explanation of what it is that you're looking for. HIV can too be Googled. Absolutely. And it's, it's really the responsibility of ourselves to educate ourselves to sort of look at what are the trusted websites, you know, and we're going to have a link link here. And you're right, everything is easier than ever. I wonder if you want to talk about the videos. You have a podcast and videos, right? As program manager at The Well Project, I lead many of our program initiatives. So one of them is A Girl Like Me Live. That's an interactive series where we sit monthly with different community members. We talk about topics that are related to women and women's health, HIV, all of it. It's amazing. Our episode today was on coping with mental health around the holidays, which was such a wonderful conversation. I do our breastfeeding work, which that is called FIBA, Building Equity, Ethics, and Education on Breastfeeding and HIV. I help lead our She, Her, They programming, which is sexual reproductive health. We have a podcast called Girl Like Me Live, which I also help to run. It's just been a great experience to be able to help so many different people through so many different venues. You're amazing, and I really don't know how you do all those things. But also the listeners can check out all of that work. There'll be a link there. And I'm really excited also to 
listen to more of your episodes and also share them with the students when I'm when I'm teaching. Is there anything before we get to the wild card questions where the listeners will get to know the real you? Is there any last things you want to say on stigma? Are you are you good? Yes. So I don't know if this will help break it down for some people. Just real simply, people living with HIV are still human beings. We are still beings who desire to have pleasurable, great sex. We are still beings who desire to Mm -hmm. be parents. We are still human. So if you can look at people like me as if we are still human with the same desires that may look a little different than your own, you can respect that. I think that we can get to the bottom of this stigma thing. I love that. I love it. And I I truly have a vision for the future like you, where people can respect the desires, the pleasure, the needs, and not just think about health challenges among anybody, right? Including people living with HIV and yeah. And center joy and and dignity and and rights. So thank you so much. Are are you ready for some wild cards? I'm ready for the wild card. All right, wild card number one. What are you watching on Netflix or Crave or whatever your Disney Plus, whatever your subscription of choices? Nothing. I am not a big TV watcher or any of those things. But what I do indulge in is YouTube. And I like Ratchet YouTube, okay? Ratchet YouTube is kind (laughs) of, it's it's like my safe space. It's where I go to relax and come down from at the end of the day. So what I'm watching on there right now are some great podcasters that I like over there. I don't want to really name show, but Ratchet YouTube, that's it. Okay. All right. This is awesome. That, that is awesome. No one has ever said that. So I'm very impressed that you have also avoided going into the vortex of the Netflix crave. Okay. The next question I have is if you could go for dinner anywhere in the world with anyone, living or dead, who would you take and where would you go? So I'm definitely bringing my grandma back from the dead, and we are going to Jamaica Ooh. for some curry, some jerk, something. She was the first person that ever got me onto that island, although that is where my family is from, and I would love to be able to experience that with her. Oh, awesome. That's amazing. Okay. The third wild card Uh-oh. in the last, the last wild card is... What advice or wisdom have you been given over the years that has been helpful that you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah, my mom told me that I was all that in a bag of chips, okay? And (laughs) not allowing other people to project their insecurities onto me and that no matter what I am faced with, no matter what, you know, any type of adverse adversaries that I come up against that I am still all day in a big chips. I love that. I might write that down on my, I have a whiteboard for inspiration here. Sometimes I write down the quotes people share. <laughs> You're all that in a bag of chips. You really are. And I, you know, I, I would also love to meet your kids one day because I'm sure that they also know that they're all that in a bag of chips too, right? I'm yes, pretty they sure. do. <laughs> 
love it. How could they not? Yeah. Wow. That was really great. Thank you so much. If there's any last things you want to say to the listeners. Yes. Once again, thank you for having me. Thank you for being open enough to listen to a conversation about HIV. That For so many people, I know that is a start. You can visit us at www.drwellproject.org. There's a plethora of information, slide sets, webinars, live streams, like any way you need the information, we got it. And I'm Cece, and I will talk to you all soon. Thank you so much, Cece. It's been such a joy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us again for more conversations with stigma experts from around the globe. Don't want to listen, but I have to tell you. Don't want to listen.